Welcome to the Sorry Eyed Effect. I'm Steph. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jen. On this podcast, we'll be chatting about all things Williams Syndrome. The ups and downs. And what it's like living with Williams Syndrome. We're excited to share our community with you. Thanks for being here. Jen. Hello. Happy, happy 7-11-23 day. Yes. Happy 7-11-23 day. Let's go William Syndrome. Woo. William Syndrome. We have tomorrow. This is, this episode is coming out um, on the 11th of July of 2023. Yes. And that is significant for individuals with William Syndrome. Yes. We have a guest um, in a little bit who's going to tell us about it. This week, Yes, we were excited to have on. Um, we had Kieran Johnson on, and Kieran is a local Coloradoan. He's got Williams syndrome. He is doing some awesome work, um, really with awareness in the paintball community. And it was a conversation. Uh, it took a turn. Oh man, it was intense, but intense in the best way possible. That yeah, was awesome. it was a really fun one. And I can't wait for you guys to take a listen to it. Uh, shout out to Southwest Airlines that will tag yes. in, in this. Southwest. He definitely has. Ready. And who else did we have on? Oh, we had Jocelyn. Jocelyn, who is like one of my favorite people. Um, she's a former board member and a, a traveling buddy. We've traveled before, you know, in the in-person board meetings. Um, yeah. We talked about uh, 7 q eleven twenty three day which is today and um yeah it's uh it was great she's always such a great person to talk to and um yeah we loved having her on the podcast yeah we touched on um the work she's doing with the Armelino Center which is oh, yeah. our yes. comprehensive resource for Williams syndrome and we also talked about her son Reese and his dual diagnosis he has Williams syndrome as well as autism so yeah. i think it's a must listen on a variety of levels oh yeah for sure yeah i uh, i have a few friends in the Williams syndrome community that also have a, a dual i think have a dual diagnosis so it'd be really cool for them to also listen and that they show characteristics of autism and neurodivergency and things of that nature. We are so fortunate to have both of these folks in our community. So I hope you all enjoy and that you got your stickers for um, this momentous occasion because 7-11-23, that's not going to come around again, right? So this is the time William syndrome peeps. Yeah, and I think mine just came in the mail. So, well, we yeah. are grateful to be in this community, aren't we? Yes, so grateful. Uh, hey, Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well over here. I'm doing great today. How about yourself? I am doing really well. Uh, so, for those who don't know who you are, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. All right. Hello. My name is Kieran Devon. I was born with Williams Syndrome on July 31st of 2000, and I was diagnosed with Williams Syndrome at the age of eight. So you got a birthday coming up soon, July 31st. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So 20, you were born in 2000, 20, so you'll be 23? Yes. 
you're you're in Colorado, Kieran. So are we. So we're yeah. we've got like two C's in the house. We've got Colorado and Connecticut. Oh. Have you always been in Colorado? Uh, originally, I lived in El Paso, Texas. Is originally where I'm from, but I moved to Colorado in 2019 after I graduated from high school. Okay, okay. So Colorado is relatively new for you guys. Yeah, it is relatively new. We've been living here for four years, and it has been nothing but a fantastic journey through life. And I'm very thankful for the people that I have in my life today. You were diagnosed at eight. Yes. And did you grow up in El Paso? Yes, I did. I grew up in El Paso, Texas all my life. Okay, all your life. This is fascinating to me. So tell us like how, or maybe you don't know, how did you get diagnosed? You were diagnosed at eight. Like what were the chain of events that ended up happening? Oh, well, my mom took me to the hospital because one time I was at home and I became unconscious for some reason and they found out it was a pulmonary issue. And so they had to get it scanned. And then, uh, so yeah, the events leading up to that were scary. I didn't know what to expect or what to do. Did you have like issues from like the time you were a baby until you were eight? Or did all of a sudden this heart thing show up when you were eight? And that's like how it all came to get together. I I had issues way before then. So I already, something was wrong. Okay. They already knew it. Yes, they already knew it. And El Paso is kind of small and yes. you know a whole it's a whole different world um so growing up having a disability in el paso how was that it was great because all the schools accepted me all their football teams cheerleading dancers and color guard actually wanted to take a picture with me at the olympics and so i went to my oh. Olymp- the Olympics and I was well known by then because it was my first year in the Olympics and I was approached by a color guard member from America's which is another high school in, our, in, in El Paso that's a small school America's was our opponent but they were friends with me so kind of that how that's how that transpired over there it's like when I competed in my first year in Olympics I won the 200 meter medal so it was like it was good to do it for the association do it for my family and do it for the school track and field or swimming uh track and field and swimming i did both i did both pretty much so you felt like you were supported in in school i mean you had like friends you had a community that's awesome what did you move with your family to colorado or how did that change happen for you okay Um, so i moved with my family after my sister got into accepted into law school okay And she goes to law school here. She did, but she's getting a job. So she's working on doing good for the community. And that's all you can ask for as a person. Yeah. Oh, dang. So do you like one of the things that we talk about in the Williams syndrome community a lot is this um, a lot of times like it can change is hard for people Mm -hmm. with disabilities, um, Williams syndrome included. Right. And it's hard for anybody, but it can be really hard when you've grown Mm -hmm. up a group of people that know you and know about Williams syndrome. So coming to Colorado, mm-hmm. a new place where you don't have like that established community, how, how has that journey been for you as an adult living with Williams syndrome and moving to a new place? It's been more emotional than I ever thought. Not so paintball, I know you're, you're a huge paintball guy. Um, yeah. Was that something you did in El Paso or is that a new thing that you got into here in Colorado? El Paso, originally I got hooked on paintball in El Paso. I'm kind of into the sport now and I'm on a pro team actually. So that's nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
how did you get involved in paintball in the first place? Like that is, it's kind of scary. So tell us, like, did you have a friend that introduced you to paintball? Did you watch it on TV? Did you watch Um, it on YouTube? I watched it on TV originally. And then one of my friends asked me to go play paintball with them one day. And I said, sure, why not test it out? And then from there on, I was, I was hooked. I couldn't stop. And you started finding jerseys. So you were saying your first jersey was the most um, emotional for you. But so how many are you on? Are you, is this, you were saying it's your fourth jersey now you've designed? Yes, this is my fourth one. And this one is called the Gold Eagle jersey. And it's a native honor to honor native culture in our country. And you design these and do you sell them or do you give them, like you were saying, you give them to your friends in the community or like what? Tell us what you can do. The proper website to go to is uglypaintball.com, and you can find those. And the 65% of the profit goes to the Williams Syndrome Association, actually. So I'm helping raise money for the association because I love you guys with my core. Were you a part, um, Karen, you are a very active member of the Denver Williams Syndrome community or Rocky Mountain region, as we call it. Were you a part yes. of the test community as well, or does that fall under Rocky Mountain also? I was part of... Texas originally, I was part of the El Paso part of the of the Women's Center Foundation. Then I came to Denver and I found out there was a Rocky Mountain, so I joined Rocky Mountain. Okay, so and, and we're the coolest, right? I mean, no offense, but we are. Oh yeah, oh just, yeah. There's the we we are the best best people on the planet. Have you yes. been able to meet friends in the community, like locally, who have Williams Syndrome, and are you guys oh. close? Oh, we're very close. We're tight knit. We're just like a family. I mean, we talk every day on the phone. We talk for hours on end. Even when my phone is charging, I don't care. I'll answer the phone anytime, anywhere, any place. Karen, do you work? No, but I'm I'm hoping to work for Southwest one day. And the reason I want to work for uh, Southwest Airlines is because I want them to do okay. a color scheme, like a William Sidham color scheme on one of their airlines for us. Okay. And, uh, I really want to raise awareness, not only on the ground, but in the skies. I love, we should hashtag in our episode, hashtag Southwest Air and start talking to them, right? Like, let's get some visibility for the Williams Syndrome community. Maybe it's a plane. Maybe it's just shouting us out during Williams Syndrome Awareness Month. Maybe it's hiring somebody with Williams drum to come like work for them but i would i and their airline is would be such a great match um for for our community they're fun and funny and outgoing too um so i love that idea kieran working for southwest would be really fun yeah welcome aboard flight 471 service to el paso texas i am your newest flight attendant kieran johnson welcome aboard our 737 williamson and awareness aircraft oh my gosh look at that Oh, bravo. bravo. I love bravo. bravo. What else do you want people to know about um, just living with disability or Williams syndrome specifically? Just be kind to people that need your help. When they need your help, help them. Thank you and welcome aboard the most loving airline in Denver, Southwest Airlines. Thank you. You're so cute. Do you struggle with anxiety at all? Yeah. How, how do you get through that? Friends, family, music, paintball? All of that. All of that, yeah. All of that. Yes. Right. Can I finish my speech about the being a pretend flight attendant for Southwest? I think that would oh be Oh, my cool. God. I would love for you to just keep going. You should just okay. take us out the whole way with this. Hello, Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard Southwest Flight 1 service from El Paso, Texas to Denver. This is the Williams Syndrome Airline. We have teamed up with Williams Syndrome this year to 
partner up and to tell people our stories. Our stories and our names are on this aircraft. Go Southwest. My name is Kieran. I'm your new flight attendant. Welcome aboard Southwest One. Service from El Paso to Denver. God bless and have a safe flight. See you guys soon. Yes, Kieran. Yes. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I, we're definitely we're definitely tagging Southwest on this one, buddy. Now we got so to make and, and while we're at it, we got to get some disabled, uh, you know, resources in the air for our folks, right? There's lots of people right. with wheelchairs who have a hard time flying. Like, so while we're talking about including yeah. disability, we got to talk about that, making sure that people don't get their wheelchairs damaged, making sure that they can fly safe, making sure that they can feel empowered to fly because that's a big deal for people with disabilities in general. So I agree with you. Like, what a better way um, to make people feel supported than to employ people with disabilities. So you obviously want to be a flight attendant, Kieran. You don't want yes. to like rent baggage, right? You want to be a flight attendant. Okay. Well we'll we'll tag them and see what can happen here, buddy. Yeah. I mean that was very- welcome to Southwest, where we are the most loving and most caring airline for keep people with disabilities. Thank you. And have a good day aboard Southwest One. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. that was so good to meet you, Kieran, again and chat with you more yeah. about all this that you're doing. Yeah, I am excited great to see you at the one. Yeah, aka Mr. Golden Eagle. Let's go. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so hey Jen and Brendan, um camp is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, the, awesome. the many different camps that we have uh uh for the Williams Syndrome uh community. And uh we have uh we have a couple coming up. And yeah. Jen, yeah. Jen, I know you've you've done these camps before. You oh and Stella. Guys, camp is my favorite. It is my most favorite thing in the entire world. I had never been to camp before. Growing up, like as a young person in life, like I never went to camp. Yeah. And I have to tell you that I don't know who looks forward to camp more, Stella or me. I think the answer might be me. Um, is the best experience ever. Do you have questions about it? Because I'd love to just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so this will be my uh, mine and Bennett's first time, uh, first time doing any camp like this. Uh, we're, I mean, he's he's I think appropriately uh, excited and and a little nervous, uh, but you know, I think yeah. the fact that that I'm there now because there's actually two camps. Now we're we're pro- you know Jen and I and our kids are primarily going to be uh, we're, well we're going to be at the what's called the therapy camp yes. which is yeah which is for 12 12 and under um and then there's also a teen camp which god help me the those the the counselors and everybody are going to need to be sainted after after that week i would think they are in for a run for their money <laughs> <laughs> um teen so is going to be 13 mm-hmm. next week um, so this will be her last year of therapy camp and like next year will be teen camp. And I am like too, I'm sad because I like to go to camp. So the thought of not going to camp is like heartbreaking to me. But then I'm like, teen camp, are we really? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the camp, the camp is going to be, uh, the camp is located just outside of, um, of Atlanta, Georgia in a, in a town called Rutledge. Yeah, and it, um, yeah, it is. I went to this location in March for the adult William Syndrome camp, and this place is 
uh, is spectacular. Um, I mean, zip lines, uh, the, a huge pool, the cabin. Uh, the, like, I, I was not sold on it until someone said, well, the cabins are uh, air conditioned. And I'm like, oh, okay. That, I'm, not that going was... to, I'm not going to Georgia at the end of July um, if there's no chance of air conditioning. Had me sold on air conditioning. Like, <laughs> you had me the there next year. For <laughs> yeah. yeah, catch me there. <laughs> you camp for adults too. It's not right yeah. now, but those happen earlier in the year. And so we really do cover the spectrum of a of people with Williams syndrome and making their this experience like like I said the best it's not only the best for the campers it is a great for the people who get to be involved not just parents because I keep talking about how much I love camp but it's yeah. life-changing for the counselors it's um so impressionable upon the staff that work at the camps like they say that having the Williams syndrome community at their camps like makes their year they look forward to it every year so if you guys have not been to camp where are you we yeah. need yeah, it is the best time ever i promise where have you been like come on yeah the, the therapy camp, camp the therapy camp will have uh, it's all led by trained therapists yeah physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy music therapy but that yet there's also going to be uh all that great camp stuff like uh biking archery uh boats horseback riding all the good stuff. wall swimming uh s'mores talent shows i mean so much so much music so much dancing yep Imagine leaving your, your kids, Joel, imagine mm -hmm. leaving Bennett in a community, like just set him free, set him free with his people. Everybody there knows your kid because they have a kid like yours and they just take care of it. Like you can, you can breathe, you can breathe, you can take a walk, you can have five minutes alone to like read a book or go pee or do whatever you want to do. It, you guys do all the things. Yep. You know. Um, yeah, and the teen camp really leans into the the uh, the arts uh, you, with music, drama, dance, uh, like fun, like improv games and things like that. So, uh, and it's not too late. It is not too late to sign up. Um, When's the last day? The last day to sign up is July sixteenth. You have six days, people. Six, six yeah. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, five five days. Uh, I guess six days, including today when you're watching this or seeing this um so july 16th you can sign up you get more information at uh williams-syndrome.org slash camps uh or you can email any questions that you might have to summercamp at williams-syndrome.org and come join jen and i and our kids and um and then and we'll we'll carry you around uh, a picture of Brendan and just be like, hey, we're here. And They're in spirit. You're yeah. in our heart. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. A, we'll do a flat Brendan and take pictures of Brendan around camp in different places. Yes. <laughs> Get a duck, people. Be there or be square. Camp is the best, y'all. Hello, Jocelyn. How are you? I'm great, Brendan. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you too, my dear friend. Um, so, for those who don't know who you are, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Jocelyn Krebs. I have a son, Reese, with Williams Syndrome, who's 14, about to go to high school. And he has a little brother, Frey, who is 11. And I am a 
believe it or not, recently retired biology professor. I have actually finally left my position at the University of Alaska Anchorage, where I was for 23 years. And while I was there, I taught biology students, taught medical students, ran a research lab that studied an animal model of Williams syndrome, trying to understand the role of one of the genes in that deletion. And then ultimately, after doing that is when my son Reese was born. So I went on to get the perspective of a parent as well. Yeah. So you were featured in the Williams syndrome community. There was a documentary that came out um, that was called True Love, and it followed several um, folks and their Williams syndrome jewelry. And you and Reese um, and your family were part of that story. So geneticist, is that the tech, is that technically what we're calling it? Geneticist right. yeah, by choice. Right. Genesis by career choice. You had studied Williams syndrome before you actually had a child with Williams syndrome. And it like gives me goosebumps every time I, I share it um, because it's like how there's like no statistic, you know, percentage of chance that that ever happens. Right. You're probably right. the only person ever and will ever be to have that. Um, but you've been practicing as a professor um, and now, oh, you're not retired. I know. I mean, I know you say you're retired from that, but what are you doing now? Right, right. So, so retired is something that I get to formally do as a professor, you know, and it mostly means paperwork. I'm done, done with that phase of my career. But one of the reasons that I was ready to step away is because I have gotten so engaged in doing some very different things with the Williams syndrome community. And the most exciting one over the past year has been helping to prepare and launch the new Armelino Center of Excellence for Williams syndrome or ACE for WS has just recently launched at the University of Pennsylvania and the hospital in Philly. And so it's this amazing growing partnership that is intended to support families with family members with Williams syndrome across the lifespan. So a focus not just on pediatric, which has been existing there for some time at the CHOP clinic, there's a Williams syndrome clinic at CHOP, but growing a corresponding clinic focused on adult issues, and then also really trying to address that transition between pediatric and adult, or in all ways, but, you know, particularly in medical care and in mental health care, that, that cliff that people run into when they're too old for their pediatrician, that's a very challenging time. And so we're trying to really focus on that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. I, I was a part of helping, you know, create, you know, with Dr. Uh, Mr. Armolino get the grant to get the ball rolling. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. So I haven't, and I think you might have mentioned it um, just a little bit, but maybe you could expand on it um, because we're in Colorado. We're in, are you still in Portland or have I'm you been in living Portland. in? Yeah. Have you been living a, a dual coast life? Um, and the new center, Armolino Center is going to be based out of Philadelphia. I'm not familiar with like CHOP and or the differences between CHOP and the Armolino Center. So it sounds like CHOP was more pediatric focused. Armolino Center is going to be more like whole person Williams syndrome focused. Um, and you've been leading that effort. So like specifically, like what are you working on in that? And maybe you can just tell the audience like where we're at with this whole center, yeah. which is so exciting. Absolutely. And it's so great for our community. 
Um, but I know there's a lot of moving parts. Yes. And yeah, it's incredibly exciting. And yeah, putting all these pieces together is hard. So so CHOP, of course, I just used the acronym. I'm a bio- biologist. So I'm terrible at just throwing acronyms out as if they're real words. Um, so that's the Children's Hospital Philadelphia. So that is a, obviously, it's a children's hospital. And so the Williams Syndrome Clinic there has been seeing patients of all ages in the area because they are Williams Syndrome Clinic with that expertise, but the main focus is obviously on kids. And so CHOP is a partner within the Armelino Center. So the center is sort of, you think of it as an umbrella. It's bringing several programs together to give that across the lifespan kind of support. And so the idea is that the more adult-focused clinic will be built at the medical school at University of Pennsylvania. And so there'll be partnership between the two hospital settings. And then the center itself is trying to do a lot more than just provide that really ultimately a lot of experts and a lot of specialties that really understand Williams syndrome, right? What all the uh, Williams syndrome clinics try to achieve and provide that clinical care, but there's also a uh, major research mission. So the idea that research studies can be occurring there and patients can visit both for their clinical care and to participate in studies. And then there will also be a lot of support for all of those other things that matter outside of the medical care we plan to have in partnership with the WSA, there'll be a social worker on site to help families make connections that they need both locally and also families that come to visit the center from a distance, helping them find okay. the kind of support they need wherever yeah. they come from. So a lot of pieces. Yeah, sort of like a, a safe haven. And... Yeah, one of the really exciting things is we have a physical space. So Mike Armelino, who's generous gift is what launched all of this. You know, he believed really strongly in having a physical place where people could gather. And it's, uh, it, we're designing it now and it's very family focused. The idea is that you walk into this space and even though there are some clinical encounter spaces in the back, there's a, a big sort of neuropsych behavioral health team that will have some encounter space there as well. But when you walk in, what you see is a playroom for little kids, a lounge for teenagers and adults to enjoy, a place to eat, right? It's it's walking into this very welcoming, comfortable environment so that when families are coming in, especially when they're doing all the appointments that you have to do, if you're doing a clinical visit and kids are getting overwhelmed, we have a little quiet space where you can go. Your child just needs to scream at the wall for a minute. It'll be a nice little sensory space so that, yeah, you don't just feel like you're hanging out in a hospital all day, that you've got a really nice to go and see other families. So I'm really excited about it. So that's your retired gig. That's my retirement. retirement. Right. Yeah, your your full time plus 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 retirement gig. That's amazing. When does Armelino Center officially open? They're not open now. No, technically we are officially open. We you are launched very recently. Yes, uh, but it's so the physical space is not present yet. We're in design for that. But there is a website, um, and we'll make sure that everybody gets that link. There's a website and a phone number, and at this point. The, the center is accepting patients. Uh, so there's, a, there's been a team put together of people who are either the, the people who know Williams Syndrome well already, the team at CHOP, but also we're trying to build a team of people that 
are really interested in Williams syndrome, you know, may have had some patients in the past, but because there hasn't been a, a center for adults, haven't had the, the time or the number of patients to really learn the ropes. And so the idea is that the center is actually helping support clinical time, which not everybody knows how it works with people with these doctors with these complex clinical and research and assorted obligations, their time gets whittled away very quickly. And if you want them to be able to really learn a rare disease and devote a lot of time so they can see all of the patients, you basically need to, to make sure that they have the time protected to do that. And so that's one of the things the center can do with that team. So yeah, so now people can call, people can call with questions, people can call to come in and make appointments. We have an amazing, one of the things that, another thing I'm really excited about, the mental behavioral health team all on the website, give that, but um, they are set up to just do this amazing immediate triage of anyone that calls, whether it's a parent with a younger child or an adult that needs to be seen by a psychiatrist, to, is looking for a psychologist, a therapeutic approach, they will immediately sort of do an interview, help make the right connections and help people find that care, which is, you know, even not even talking about that pediatric to adult transition, that's, those are hard services to find everywhere, find good matches. So we're really excited. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and so are you in the onboarding, like, are you on the onboarding team or will you have a role there full time? So the plan is for me to have a role there full time. I've actually been working as a consultant kind of behind the scenes for a while, especially while I still had my other full-time job. And we're still trying to work out all of the details of what the final structure is going to look like. We wanted to really prioritize getting the clinical team on board and ready to go in terms of patients being able to just come in and get seen and sort of Phase two is then going to work out how it all integrates with the research plan, the social worker, and the whole family. We're all definitely, so stay tuned. Work in progress. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, because like I said, you live in Portland, so you live a little ways away. So this will look um, really interesting. So well, my, my plan is to, you know, in the short term, commute. Oh, you are? Okay. Goes. I commuted between Alaska and Oregon for quite a while for when I needed to be in person up there, even after we moved to Oregon. And so, yeah, my intention is in the short term to be commuting to Philadelphia and then uh, look at an eventual move. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, Reese is one of my favorite kiddos. Um, and we know Reese from camp. Um, would you mind just sharing I know you said he's 14 now and he's going into high school, but um, would you, I also would like to, you to talk about him a little bit more because he has a dual diagnosis. We get a lot of questions through the podcast about individuals with dual diagnosis and um, obviously you having a background in Williams syndrome and being who you are. Um, um, you know, genetically speaking, that's probably not the right, but yes, maybe genetically and actually speaking, would you talk about dual diagnoses and Reese and all the, all the things about Reese? You love Absolutely. Reese, right? That's right. Yeah. Reese is awesome. I, I agree. Let's see. So you said we had what, 10 days for this podcast <laughs> to talk about? Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Reese is obviously a completely amazing kid. He, he entered the world in the somewhat traumatic for the parents way that so many kids with Williams syndrome do, which was nine months of colic and just, 
you know, failure to thrive and all the scary things and our first child. So no idea what we were doing. And so it was, it was a rocky start as it so often is. And he didn't get diagnosed until almost 19 months old, which is ironic because of course I was studying Williams syndrome that whole time. I was very familiar with it. And here we had this little baby who we knew from very early on something was up, even once we survived the colic and could think again. There was no doubt that I, he was missing the milestones. He, things were going on. He looked a little unusual. There was something different about him, but he didn't have the classic Williams features that, that people look for. We even took him to a, saw a geneticist from Seattle who had certainly seen many kids with Williams in her career, but she didn't see it by eye either. And we were lucky in that Reese's heart has always been in quite good shape. And so we didn't get the, the other common trigger for the diagnosis, more severe SBAS. So we were just tootling along wondering, well, something's going on, but eh, it's not Williams syndrome. I said that any number of times, whatever's happening here, it's not Williams syndrome. Of course, of course. We, we finally did the genetic testing and it was Williams syndrome. And I spent however long thinking, did I just wake up from this crazy dream that Reese has Williams syndrome? But one of the other things that we realized once we said, yeah, okay, Williams syndrome, my life is crazy. And clearly I've been working on exactly the right thing. Started sort of recognizing the ways as you do, as you study your child and you study the often fairly limited uh, descriptions of a syndrome that you find online that he seemed not classically Williams syndrome in other ways. And one of the things that became more and more clear was that Reese, even though you, you know him, uh, he is, he, he loves you all and everyone's a friend, but he has never been a, I'm going to just walk up to everyone and give them a hug, which is a very common behavioral phenotype in Williams syndrome, but by no means universal. But of course, it's the one stinking adorable. So it gets talked about a lot. But then, yeah, so I had this kid that for child with Williams syndrome seemed a little shy and withdrawn compared to the, the advertised norm. And then his speech delay was much, much more profound. Lots of individuals with Williams syndrome, you know, have a delay before they start talking. But then, you know, once they start, they're off and running. And that was not the case for Reese. It took him a very long time, really speak at all, and then just a very slow process becoming verbal. He is verbal. Obviously, some individuals with the dual, dual diagnosis, complex communicators in other ways and may not be truly verbal, different flavors of autism or a variety of presentations in that way. But this is what this all eventually led us to was having Reese assessed to see if he was also autistic. No doubt that he is this dual diagnosis. And so it means we get to be a part of two communities, which is an upside, but it means it's, it's always a little confusing in each one because all of my friends with their autistic kids are like, where did you get this crazy social butterfly? <laughs> he's too, yeah, he's too social for autism. Yeah. And then people are like, he's not social enough. Although well, I think he is. Well, and one of the things that's always fascinated me about Reese is with sort of the world at large, he can be very shy and not that interested in engaging with people. But when he meets anyone else with Williams syndrome, 
it's instant, sees the connection and just will beeline. Yeah. So it's it's kind of amazing to me that that affinity just pops out. Yeah. I also want to say that Reese has such a great sense of humor too. He's so funny. He is a comedian. He is absolutely. So how does, um, so he has autism as, as a dual diagnosis. And I have heard that autism often gets diagnosed like as the, you know, other um, thing it, with Williams syndrome people. I'm sure there's other things that people get diagnosed with as well, but I do hear autism commonly. Um, is there just in your, um, you know, professional opinion, are there things specifically that designed to treat um, people with a dual diagnosis? Or is that something that you guys are going to be focusing on at the Armelino Center? How, how do we as a community, I guess, support our Williams syndrome people who do have dual diagnoses? That's a really great question. There actually is already an autism center of excellence at Penn. Um, And so I think that we're going to find some some real opportunities for people interested in uh, junction. Autism and Williams syndrome is is complicated to diagnose because there's a lot of features of Williams syndrome that overlap with the autism spectrum all. Mm -hmm. Both of them are, both of them are spectrum big spectrums just on their own. And so, so in a lot of ways, it almost becomes a, a spectrum on top of a spectrum of how autism co-presents with Williams syndrome. All of that said, there are certainly a lot of social teaching uh, approaches, modern applied behavioral analysis, ABA, not old school, poorly implemented ABA. Um, uh, old school ABA, yes, yeah. Yeah, there, there's been some terrible things called ABA in the past that have traumatized a lot of now adults, autistic adults, but but done well. A, both of our kids have actually had a wonderful success with ABA, and I think it's something that works for everyone, but as it happens, most insurance companies will cover it only for autism. And so that is one of the, the few perks, I guess, of you know, getting that additional diagnosis is it it makes you eligible for some services or insurance coverage. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm really hoping to, to push the center to have a little extra focus on that. We think 20% of people with Williams syndrome are probably also autistic. That's interesting because yeah. I, I think I've told you before that I've always thought that Stella could easily like take an autism, you know, or assessment and probably qualify for that too. Wow. Um, and I just have never wow. done it. Because I've sort of thought maybe this is like a, it's probably is an uneducated, you know, assumption that you, they sort of treat autism similarly to like her Williams syndrome, right? So I didn't know, to your point, besides ABA and besides some of those things that you get covered with insurance um, with an autism diagnosis, I guess I'm just asking you, are you seeing anything beyond, um, those things that would be a benefit like for somebody like me that's like should she get duly diagnosed or does that make sense or not are there advantages medically speaking to having both things that i haven't uncovered yeah i would say you know medically there's there's nothing that would jump out at me you know the things that we have to worry about in terms of health medical problems excuse me that's uh that's well covered by watching the things we need to watch for Williams syndrome. In terms of autism, yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, there are places where access to benefits is really dependent on that to the point that there are people that are forced to seek an autism 
co-diagnosis, even when it probably isn't a genuine oh, wow. diagnosis. Okay. And so that's hard. And again, because of the, the blurring of enough overlap of the, the Williams syndrome spectrum and behaviors with autism, people can do that, but it, it then makes it a little hard to sort of truly understand the interface when some percentage of the people with the co-diagnosis, uh, it's more of a strategic diagnosis than a genuine one. That said, uh, you know, I always say anything you can do to get your kid the services that will help them. The more the better, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and for some of it, you know, I made the, the crack earlier about that I get to be a part of two different parent communities by having the dual diagnosis. There are a lot more families affected by autism, by Williams syndrome. And so in terms of just knowing other moms in the special ed community here, things like that, those connections have been really just personally helpful. But then it also, as your child grows up and comes to understand their identity and where it's going, I think that's where it's a place to think about it too. You know, the, the autistic community is filled with very powerful self-advocates and can be a really supportive uh, community to be a part of. And so I certainly feel like anyone that has a, you know, a genuine autism diagnosis sort of has the right to connect with that community as well and maybe find affinities there that they don't find. Williams syndrome from. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, well, speaking of kind of advocacy, I love that you such so this is going to launch tomorrow on 7 11 23 and um you designed some artwork around this so would you mind telling everybody about just 7 11 23 day in general what it means to our williams syndrome community and the artwork that you've created yes absolutely so yeah so 7 11 23 is a you know a set of numbers that only a few people get excited about because not everybody knows that this is the maybe not so thrilling to the general public way that geneticists label positions on chromosomes. Right. But of course, all of our chromosomes are numbered, starting with the biggest for number one, so numbered by size. And chromosome seven, of course, is the chromosome that is the home of the deletion, the Williams syndrome deletion, nearly 30 genes uh, that are impacted. And chromosomes, and people have probably seen pictures of this many times, there's a way to look at chromosomes in which they look like they have stripes, black and white bands. And this chromosome banding is a technique that's been around for decades. Scientists have been using this to, to map chromosomes and understand which is which when you, a child in utero do a karyotype, and when you do amniocentesis and do a karyotype, that's what you're seeing is that sort of old-fashioned, been around forever banding technique. Well, those bands get labels. So chromosomes have physical addresses on them, which is how geneticists have kept track of things for a long time. So, so chromosomes, each chromosome has its number, and then all of our chromosomes have a place in them called the centromere, which is just a little handle that we use to support them, sort them. That only matters because it means every chromosome has two what we call arms. There's a big arm and a little arm. The little arm is called the P arm. I remember it is P for petite. Mm. And then the long arm is the Q arm. Okay. And so when we talk about the address for the genes involved in Williams syndrome, 
we say it's 7Q11. So the Q means that it's on that long arm of chromosome 7. So the, the rest of the address is essentially bands get numbered from, from that middle point out the P arm, out the Q arm. And so the 1123 is then just referring to physically which band and subband the region of interest. Mm. So 7Q1123 is the home address of the Williams syndrome critical region. And so it's just kind of remarkable that yeah. that date came around this year. It's coming around again uh, in any of our lives that we get to have 7-11-23. And so it's a really, you know, it's an exciting day to celebrate. I'm glad people noticed it in time. The way my art comes into this. So I've been doing science art for a long time. It's something I do to relax. Uh, you know, I do a lot of sort of very complex art pieces that I call nerd tangles for people that do Zen tangles. Um, if you're familiar with that term, I, I do Zen tangles, but they're all these science themes. They're my nerd tangles. Yes. And I started doing a group of them based on chromosome seven, where I took essentially the chromosome with the real bands as they truly exist if you do the stains, but then I would decorate each band in fun ways. And then what I did was I went to the region where the Williams syndrome critical region lies. And of course, in Williams syndrome, that's a deletion, right? People with Williams syndrome are missing one set of that information. But I didn't want to just make a hole in the chromosome, take that piece out, because, you know, as a geneticist, yes, I know it's a deletion, but those of us with family members with Williams syndrome, we think of it as something really magical that's been added. It's not a loss. And so I started putting a little uh, banner in that space and uh, would... What I first started doing actually was giving them as gifts to friends. And I would put in that space the name of a loved one with Williams syndrome, again, showing what they had been given in place of that handful of genes. And then I started making ones where I just put that address, the 7Q1123 address in there. And so that's one of the, the pieces that sharing for this wonderful date because it then has that address captured right there in the chromosome. And then the other thing that I did uh, for fun was actually make a sort of a, a logo, just the date written out, uh, 7-11-23, with a little Q, because I'm a geneticist and I have. But then I just made the numbers look like sort of folded up chromosomes. So to create that same image of that banded chromosome, but then also forming. So those are the, those are the things I came up with. Oh my gosh, they're so fun. So the bands, um, all these different bands, and I looked at your, there's a significance there. So that's how you've like created this artwork is around these different, like, I guess, start, start and stop points. Is there, um, is there a different, is there a reason for the different coloring or you just wanted to offer like a lot of color combinations and design combinations? Yeah. So I have several that I've done just in the, uh, official colors of the WSA. That's actually some of the ones that I started. Um, so there are a few that are a slightly simpler color scheme and they're often in that. But then no, I just, I like color. And so I just would have fun. So what I do is I, when I draw these, I do them in black and white, and then I scan that black and white version so that I can then redo it 
you know, I'll print it back out and hand color it in all different kinds of colors so that I have a lot of different. Right on. Big shout out to Outshine Labels. Yeah. Indeed. So wonderful that, that yeah. offer those as stickers. I had just been making them myself for fun and handing them out to friends. And yeah, I was really excited to be able to do that. I wonder if it'll morph into merch too, like shirts and hats. Um, because I know so many people, to your point, like this is to the everyday person, it may not make sense, right? What this is, but to us, there's so much impact there and so much meaning behind um, what you've drawn that I can see people wanting to wear this every day, not just wow. on July wow. 11th. Absolutely. Well, and they're eye-catching too. And so there's something that it, it'll make people ask, you know, what is that on your shirt? And then you have a chance to spread some awareness. Well, and what I love about you always, Jocelyn, is you have a way of explaining the complexities of genetics in a way that regular regular people like me can understand. And so I appreciate that. And now like before I was like, oh, like I don't really know, you know, I know what 7Q1123 is. I know that that's the Williams syndrome deletion, but like I didn't realize what exactly it meant, right? Like the, so if anybody is getting the sticker or when we do eventually launch merch, they're going to know, like, listen to this episode, Jocelyn will tell you how to explain this. Yes. (laughs) My favorite thing to do is translating like the crazy stuff that geneticists talk about our secret codes into actual understandable human language. So that's always a treat for me. My gosh, we are so lucky to have you. I mean, really are. And Reese, but but you too. We'll we'll keep you. You've been listening to The Starry-Eyed Effect presented by the Williams Syndrome Association. The show is hosted by Jennifer Keaton, Brendan Lemieux, and Stephanie Karen, and produced by me, Joel Listman. Theme song by Tommy Barbarella and Mariella Elm. Got a question for the show? Email us at podcast at williams-syndrome.org. Video version of the podcast available on YouTube at the Williams Syndrome Association channel. Review us on Apple Podcasts and maybe it will get featured on a future episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to The Starry-Eyed Effect wherever you get your podcast delights.